All right. Well, good morning. How are you all, TBA? Awesome. Does anybody remember that episode from Seinfeld? Anybody remember? Anybody watch Seinfeld? You guys watch it? What did Kramer always do every time he came over to Jerry's house? Does anybody know? Huh? He went in his refrigerator. Yeah. Every time he would come over to, to Jerry's house, he'd go straight into his refrigerator, get whatever he wanted. It's funny because uh, the writers did this on purpose. See, Jerry's refrigerator was a tool that the writers used to show the depth of the relationship between Jerry and his friends, between Lane, George, Kramer, and Jerry. These, these were his inner circle of friends, and they were in and out of his refrigerator as if it was their own refrigerator. But what you may not have noticed was that Newman, y'all know Newman, right? Jerry's nemesis. He would never went into Jerry's refrigerator. Neither did any of Jerry's girlfriends. And the reason for that is because the freedom to go into somebody else's refrigerator without asking is a right that is reserved for only our closest friendships. Our closest relationships have refrigerator rights. Others do not. So who has refrigerator rights in your life? So we are continuing in our Discipleship Pathways series, and today we're going to be talking about community. And when I say the word community, I know a lot of different ideas probably pop into your mind. I mean, we live in this community of Lakeland, right? You live in a community in your neighborhood. You have different organizations that you're a part of that might be considered community. And each community that we're a part of has a different purpose and has different levels of intimacy that we experience. And each one has its own place in our lives. But the community that I want to talk about this morning goes deeper than any other community in your life. It's a community that has refrigerator rights in your life. And so as we talk this morning, I want you to think about those people, those people in your life with whom you share refrigerator rights with. Who is allowed into the refrigerator of your life without asking? Who is that person that's in your life that you feel comfortable enough to allow them to know the core of who you are, to know your struggles and your weaknesses? The person who can call you out when you're wrong, right? Who knows you enough that they can take one look at you and know that something isn't right. The person that's going to be there for you at three o'clock in the morning just because you need them. Who are those people in your life? For many of us, I would guess that we probably don't have very many people like that in our lives. Because while a lot of people would say they're involved in community, most of the community that they're involved in only deals with surface relationships. See, I think we're a society that suffers from a sense of false community. We're a society, a society that's widely connected, but we're not deeply connected. There were two Christian professors in the psychological, psychological how do I say that? Psycholo psychology, thank you. I was trying to, no, it doesn't matter what I was trying to say. <laughs> two professors in the psychology department at Purdue University. One of them's name was Will Miller. The other one's name was Glenn Sparks. And they wrote a book called Refrigerator Rights, Our Crucial Need for Close Connection. And in their book, they said this, maybe. 
They said the core emotional problem of modern life is this, a pervasive personal detachment and aloofness from other people. We no longer live in physical or emotional closeness to the people who help shape us, including our family of origin, friends, neighbors, and the acquaintances of our childhood, and we have failed to replace our social network with new people. And statistics would uphold that argument. In 1986, which is, I know is a long, long time ago, right? In 1986, a survey was done in which the participants of the survey were asked how many people did they have in their life that they could confide in. 13% of those in that survey said they had no one in their lives that they could turn to, okay? 20 years later, 2006, researchers at Duke University and North Carolina University repeated that same survey, and they found that that number had nearly doubled to 25%. Now, Almost 20 years later from that, a similar study was just recently conducted, and that number has now soared to 61%. 61% of Americans say they have nobody to confide in. 61%. That means three out of five people that we encounter on a daily basis feel alone, disconnected, not close enough to the people around them to confide in, three out of five people feel detached from everybody around them. Now, when I first read that, my first thought was, there's no way that statistic is true. There's no way it could be 61%. How can so many people feel alone when we're so connected as a society? We are by far the most connected society in the history of the world. We have more ways of keeping in touch with one another than ever before. I mean, through that little device that I carry in my pocket, which is so much more than a phone, I can talk to, text, email, FaceTime, catch up on Facebook, post to Twitter, comment on a blog, and otherwise stay connected to people across the globe. I know what some of my friends from college are doing on a regular basis, and I haven't talked to them or seen them in 30 years. I can even become connected to people who I have never met, but who share my hobbies and interests. But is that real community? I don't think it is. I actually think it creates a false sense of community that leaves us lacking Miller and Sparks in their books put it this way. See if this resonates with you. They said, what little personal contact we do have with others is fleeting. It's fast-paced and shallow. The soccer mom group sitting in the stands cheering on the team or the regular weekly golf partner chatting between swings rarely have time for talking afterwards because you need to get to work or the next activity. And so we tolerate friendships that are flimsy and superficial, and we believe that we, because we have so many of them, we must be socially connected, but something tells us we're not. While much evidence points to the fact that we are well-connected, we still sense a general dissatisfaction, an emptiness, and loneliness. The issue is that although we are widely connected, we are not connected very deeply. See, I think social media creates the illusion of connectivity, but in reality, it's only a surface connection. I mean, how many Facebook friends do you have? 
And of those Facebook friends, how many of them really know the real you? I mean, they really know the real you. And how many of them do you really know beyond the image of their lives that they create and post online? See, there's a breadth of connection, but very little depth. We know many people, but we don't know enough people. And we haven't allowed others to get to know us. And it's beginning to have an impact on our society, on the health of our, our society. Bert Uccino is a professor at the University of Utah, and he studies relationships and the health that comes from those. And he says, pervasive loneliness has widespread effects and is strongly linked to mental health issues such as anxiety and depression. And he says, more and more research shows that it doesn't just end with mental health. Evidence is pointing to the fact that relationships and the kind of bonds you have with people, how close you are, how connected you are, impacts our physical health as well. And I would argue that this issue of being wildly connected but not deeply connected has a greater effect on our spiritual life. Because see, as Christians, we're called to community. We're called to life together. We cannot fulfill our purpose as believers in isolation from each other. Now you might be saying, hey, wait a minute. My faith, it's, that's a personal thing between me and God. I don't need anyone but God to grow in my faith. And I would say that you are partly right and mostly wrong. Because faith, yes, faith is between you and God. And yes, we do have a personal relationship with him that we should always be growing in and investing in. But at the same time, God designed us to live our faith out in community. And there are just some things in life that you cannot get through on your own. Life is gonna throw obstacles in your path that you can't climb over without the help of others. In fact, I would say that I would find it difficult for anyone to grow in their relationship with the Lord, live out the mission of the gospel, overcome the battle of sin, and handle the trials of life without community, without real community. It's kind of like saying you're a football player, yet you're not on a team. A single football player is nothing without his team. He can't score, he can't defend, he can't even move the ball. He needs others around him, and the same is true for us. So this morning, what I want to do is I want us to look at three reasons from the Bible as to why we are called to refrigerator rights community. Here are the three reasons. One, we need each other. Two, we belong to each other. And three, we are called to bear witness to Christ. So let's look at each of these. The first one is we need each other. The first reason that we are called to refrigerator rights community is a simple one. We need each other. I know that sounds simple, but it's true. Listen, we are sinful people living in a sinful world full of constant trials and temptations. And we are kidding ourselves if we think we can make it through this Christian life without each other's love and support. We need to encourage each other in this battle against sin. Look at what it says in Hebrews. It says, be careful, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Do you get what that's saying in that passage? Sin is deceitful. 
Sin never comes right out and advertises itself or its consequences. Sin sneaks into our lives without us noticing, and it takes us down slowly, one heart decision at a time. But the overall effect of all those decisions can be deadly. It's like hardening of the arteries, right? It doesn't happen all at once. It's one donut at a time, right? It takes a place of a period over time and often in places unseen. But the damage is building. The danger is real. And all of a sudden, you find your heart hardened towards God. Now, we see this as pastors. We see this happen all the time. Somebody will be walking towards Jesus and then all of a sudden, They'll miss a few Sundays at church, and we'll try to connect with them to find out what's going on, and then all these excuses start to come up. Well, I'm just really busy right now, and things are real hectic, and I'll be back in a little while when things calm down, and then the next thing you know, they've pulled out of almost all contact with anybody at church. Our texts and phone calls aren't returned, and then after a time, we get news that they're divorced or in an affair or caught in addiction, or some other trap that sin lays. And they're bitter, and they're so far from God, and their hearts are hardened from the Lord. How do you guard against this? By daily encouragement of your brothers and sisters in Christ. You have to warn each other every day so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. You have to have people in your life that can go into the refrigerator of your heart and call you out when they see you taking steps backwards. People that are willing to risk the friendship to hold you accountable to the word of God. People who will do it out of love, not condemnation, but people who are not afraid of offending you. See, this life is a spiritual battle and it requires brothers and sisters that are gonna lock arms and fight for each other. You cannot win this battle of sin on your own. You can't do it. You need, to ha- you need somebody who's got your back and who will pick you up after your fall, which is another reason why we need each other. We need to pe- pick each other up when we fall. I mean, it's great that we can encourage each other to help keep away from sin, but man, there are times when we fall into sin and sometimes we fall hard. These are the times when we really need Christian brothers and sisters in our lives to come alongside us and help. Paul says this in Galatians. He says, brothers and sisters, if somebody is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch out yourselves or you may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So if somebody's caught in sin, we're to come alongside them and restore them gently. And that word restore is a word that's used for mending a broken bone, right? A broken bone takes time to heal, and sometimes it takes the person who has fallen time to be restored. It takes a lot of love and grace and patience. No wonder Paul says you who live by the Spirit should take this on, because it takes humility to do that, because we're all broken, and any of us could fall. Any of us could be in that position. Nobody is immune from the pitfalls of sin, which is why Paul says, watch out yourself, or you may be also tempted. Do you remember that commercial, what's that, um, where the lady falls down and she goes, help, I've fallen, I can't get up, life alert, life call, right? We, that's what we need. We need to be life call for each other, right? When we need to have that mercy and grace that when somebody falls into sin and they go, help, I can't get up, we go, all right, I'm coming. I'm here to pick you up. 
I'm going to carry your burden. And doing that, I fulfill the law of Christ, which is the law of love. Not only do we need to do that, but we need to motivate each other to acts of good, of good works. It's not enough just to encourage each other. It's not enough just to pick each other up when we fall. But we should be positively encouraging one another to good works. Let's go back to Hebrews. He says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect meeting together, which is important as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. See, it's easy to get lazy in this Christian life. I'm guilty of it. I am. It's easy to forget our responsibilities to those around us. Sometimes it's not even laziness that's the problem, but just busyness. It's easy to allow our priorities to get out of their proper place. And we can allow things to keep us from doing the work that God's called us. And those things aren't necessarily bad things. Oftentimes, we allow good things to keep us from doing what God wants us to do. But man, when we're together as brothers and sisters in Christ, it helps us keep our focus as we continually challenge one another from God's word to reach out to the world around us in love. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this in his book, uh, Life Together. He says, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's words to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged for by himself he cannot help himself. Listen, we all know following this path of Jesus is a hard path. Loving others doesn't come naturally to us. Serving others and dying to ourselves doesn't come easy. And ministry is hard. Jamie, ministry's hard. Welcome to the club, it's hard. And at times it's easy to get discouraged and to get down and wanna stop and give up. But man, having brothers and sisters around you encouraging you not to give up, to fight the good fight, Seeing them working side by side motivates us. It keeps us going. It keeps us loving. It keeps us serving. It keeps us doing all that we can for the kingdom of God. So it isn't just that I need others around me to keep me from the pitfalls of sin. I need others around me to motivate me to continue to do good works, to keep me from losing perspective on what's most important in life. So that's our first reason why we need Refrigerator Rights Community, because we need each other, man. We just need each other. The second reason is because we belong to each other. What do I mean by that when I say we belong to each other? Well, if we have Refrigerator Rights, then it means we treat each other like family. I hope you saw a picture of family this morning, because that's what family looks like, right? If we have Refrigerator Rights, then we treat each other like family. Paul says this in Galatians. He calls us a family. He says, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior, you're adopted into God's family, and you become a son or a daughter of God. And that means that your other believers around you are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And because we've been brought into the family of God, we should love each other with a family love. Now, God's family's pretty big, right? It's worldwide. So how do we go about doing that? How do we practically show that love? Well, we do it through the local church. Every believer needs to be involved in a local church where they can grow in loving relationships with other believers. Listen, you can't say that you're a part of God's family without being part of a local church. You just can't do it. 
I'm part of the shy family worldwide, right? But they don't know who I am. They don't know what my life is about. They don't know when I'm in need or when I'm hurting. They're related to me, yes, but they're not like family is, like my wife and son is family, right? And the same is true with the family of God. You and I have brothers and sisters all over the world, and that is awesome to know. And while they are family to us, they aren't like TBA family is to us, right? And with that comes responsibilities and privileges of family, meaning that here at TBA, a part of this family, you are loved and you love. And we walk with each other and we carry each other's burdens and we pray for each other and we forgive each other when we hurt each other. Because you don't abandon family. You don't walk out the door when your feelings get hurt. You stick it out when it gets hard. You fight for each other. You look out for each other. You protect each other. That's what family looks like. And that's hard to do. That's hard to have if you don't commit to a local church. Okay, so we belong to each other because we're family. But even more than that, we're the body of Christ together. Look at what 1 Corinthians 12 says. It says, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. The point Paul is making is that just as there are different members of our human bodies, all have different functions, so we all have different functions in the body of Christ. But just because we are different from each other doesn't mean that we are not one body. Christ is the head of the body. We all belong to Christ. Therefore, we all belong to the body of Christ. And in Romans 12, he takes the concept even deeper. He says, our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function. So it is with, with Christ's body. We have many parts of one body and we belong to each other. So not only do all belong to the body of Christ, but each member belongs to the others. That's the way it works in the human body, right? All the parts of the body work together to advance the health of the whole body, not just individual parts. All the parts have a sense of obligation to each other because they're all part of the same body. In the same way, we belong to each other in the body of Christ. Each member belongs to all the others. And we should be working together to advance the health of the whole body of the TBA body, not just individual interests. So here's the point that I'm getting at, because I know it can get a little confusing. If you are not involved in refrigerator rights community here at TBA, then it hinders this body of believers as a whole because we belong to each other. You have gifts and experience, skills, insight, wisdom that this body of believers needs. And when you sit outside of community, this body of believers misses out on what you have to offer. And you miss out on what others have to offer you. And as a result, this body isn't as healthy or as effective as it could be, okay? All right, we're getting close to wrapping up. We're called to refrigerator rights community because we need each other, we belong to each other, and lastly, because we're called to bear witness to Christ. Part of the big picture of the Bible is that God is building for himself a people. 
God's not just interested in individuals. Of course, he cares about us individually, but he also cares about us as a people. In Titus chapter 2, it says this. It says, while we look forward with hope to the wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Jesus came to redeem a people for himself, a community of people who would glorify him in their lives and in their relationships with each other. When Jesus came, he didn't come just to die for individuals, although he would have done that if there was only one individual on the earth, but he died for the church. Paul says in Ephesians, Christ loved the church and he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. The church, this body of believers, is the bride of Christ. And Jesus died for it to make us holy and radiant and pure. And when we live together in community as, in, as, as believers, encouraging each other in the battle of sin, spurring each other on to love and good deeds, we function as light in the world, as a city on a hill, as a testimony to Jesus Christ who died to make us holy. Not only that, but our unity as believers testifies to the world that God sent Jesus Look at what Jesus said when he was praying in John 17. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and me. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one, and you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. See, when the world sees believers truly loving and caring for each other in that refrigerator-right Christian community, they will stand up and take notice. And they will believe that God sent his son into this world. And our love for each other bears witness to the testimony of Christ. It gives it validity. Because I don't believe that you can have this kind of community anywhere else. I don't think you can have it anywhere else. It's a community that is driven by the Holy Spirit. It's a community like no other. It's a supernatural, Holy Spirit-derived unity that is unique to the family of God. Now let me say this as we close. You cannot, you cannot have this kind of refrigerator rights Brothers and sisters locked in arms, fighting for each other, holding each other accountable, lifting each other up, encouraging one another, deep love for one another that bears witness to Christ of kind of community. You can't have that kind of community sitting on the sidelines. You can't have it. You can't have that community just coming here on Sunday morning. Don't get me wrong, man. Being here on Sundays is important, just as important in a lot of different ways. But there is no way, there's no way that you can have that type of intimacy, those kind of refrigerator rights community, just attending a service once a week. You can't have it. That type of community is about experiencing life together, 
Relationships that are built on unselfish love, honest sharing, practical serving, sacrificial giving, sympathetic comfort. It's relationships that aren't just superficial talk about how you doing, I'm doing good. It's genuine heart to heart. Man, sometimes gut level sharing that happens when people drop the mask and they get honest about what's really going on in their lives. And when you get past the surface and you share real hurts and real feelings and real doubts and fears, when we confess our failures and acknowledge our weakness and we ask for help and prayer from each other, I believe those relationships only happen in a small group of people. Why only a small group? Because it's easy to hide in a large group. It's easy to stay in the background and it's hard to be vulnerable in a large group. It's hard for us to be open and honest with each other in a large group. We lose an intimacy that can only be found in a small group of people. You lose the safety that comes from a small group of people. And you lose the personal attention that can only come in a small group of people. Another reason why I think you can't do it just coming on Sunday is the time required. The time required to get to that level of intimacy and love for one another. I mean, think about that verse in Galatians we read about restoring a brother or sister who is falling. How do you do that on a Sunday morning? I mean, how much time do you really have talking to each other? We have worship and the word and all those things going on. And you've got a little bit of time in the lobby to talk, a little bit of time hanging out after. But how do you restore somebody like that on a Sunday? You can't do it. Because getting that person back on path, on task, takes time. It takes time to get to, want, to know one another so that trust is built, so that we earn the right to speak into one another's lives. It takes time to wade through the mess of life. It takes time to have clear perspective, time to pray through it all, time to walk through it all. That, that can't just happen in the short amount of time that we have on Sunday. So as the band comes up, I want to challenge you with this. If you're not in a D group or some kind of focus group or a small group, I encourage you to find one. We're launching them next month. Find one. Find that group of people that are going to let you have refrigerator rights because they're there are just things you can't get through life on your own. I mean, you're going to need somebody to walk with you through this life. And yes, God is walking with us. But man, he has chosen the people sitting next to you on your left and on your right. He has chosen the people in this room, our brothers and sisters in Christ. He has chosen them to be the vessels that he wants to work through, to walk with you through this journey that we call life. And we need each other. We need each other. We belong to each other and we bear witness to Jesus through our love for each other. So who are you going to allow to have refrigerator light rights in your life? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together where we could come and share your word. And Lord, thank you that for this family of believers here at TBA Church. And Lord, thank you for every single person that you've brought here into this family. And God, I would pray 
that we would all see the need for people to have access to our lives. God, that we all would see the need for refrigerator right people in our lives so that we don't have to walk through this life alone, so that we don't have to face the challenges of sin alone, so that we can carry each other's burdens, we can lift each other up when we fall. Most of all, we can glorify your name and bear witness to the power of your love, Jesus. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Listen, I know that you may, there may be people in here where you're like, I don't have anybody right now. I don't have anybody in my life and I'm hurting and I need help. And I need somebody to pray for me. I need somebody to walk with me. I need somebody to carry my burdens. If that's you today, man, go to Next Steps. We have people back there who would love to talk with you, who would love to pray with you, who would love to walk through you with whatever burden you're struggling with. I'll be back there as well. I'll be happy.